When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast, and hear from the minds transforming healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more with the help of AI. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Kakadu Plum is an Australian native superfood containing 100 times more vitamin C than oranges. So why have you never heard of it? PR. No one's drinking a Kakadu smoothie? I'm JB Smooth, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a gigillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit at slash hypergig for details. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. Have a ton of questions about LASIK? You're not alone. That's why we created LASIK.com. One place where you can go to find every answer to every question on your mind. Like, how much does LASIK cost? How long does recovery take? How do I find a doctor? If you've been thinking about LASIK, go to LASIK.com now. Yeah, LASIK.com. Easy to remember, so you know where to start. L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. From UFOs to ghosts and government cover-ups, history is riddled with unexplained events. You can turn back now or learn the stuff they don't want you to know. Dear Ben and Matt, I don't think you guys have covered this, but I think this is a pretty interesting topic. As a slave to the pharmaceutical industry, I think the big pharmacy is holding back cures for diseases. Since everyone worships the almighty dollar, I feel that it's much more profitable to keep billing people for treatment rather than finding a cure for said disease. I would love to see here you guys cover this topic. Sean O. And ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the show. Uh, I'm here. I'm Ben. Noel, you're here. I'm here. And most importantly, you are here, Sean, ladies and gentlemen, everybody uh, in the U.S., across the world. We're coming semi-live to your ear Holes. Uh, ear holes, yeah. yeah. <laughs> to, to your eardrums, maybe. Yeah. Uh, and that makes this stuff they don't want you to know. Today we're tackling something that uh, was inspired by a listener mail and that we have talked about extensively off air before, just in our conversations when we hang out after work, right? For sure. Well, so we're talking about uh, big pharma conspiracies. A little bit of background. We did a video series on this way, way back. And then we also did, I don't know why I did a goat noise there. 
No, it was good. It was appropriate. Does it work? Uh-huh. Okay, yeah. we'll keep it. Uh, and then we also did in January an episode about the legal drug trade, which will be pharmaceuticals. This episode, we are going to focus on more of the conspiracies and the conspiracy theories surrounding uh, big pharma. So first things first. We'll, we'll look at it this way. As we said before, uh, legal drugs are a big business. We'd like to give you some industry statistics. So IMS Health reports that overall drug spending weighed in at about $320 billion in 2011. Um, through the FDA and Congress, uh, the U.S. works to ensure access to safe, effective drugs. At least that's the that, idea. That's the theory. Yeah. Mm, sure. Um, so, but at the same time, critics say that quote unquote big pharma has paid Congress to turn a blind eye to predatory and shady dishonest practices like price gouging. So what is again the big air quote unquote big Ooh. pharma exactly? Right. Um, other than just a convenient catchphrase. Right. Right. So nowadays, big pharma has become this umbrella term for the world's largest multinational pharmaceutical companies. These are the corporate Goliaths, the corporate behemoths that own patents on life saving name brand proprietary drugs. And they work to prevent generic knockoffs from replacing these in different markets. So in 19, from 1998 to 2012, the pharmaceutical industry spent around $2.6 billion just to lobby lawmakers, legislators. And for, for some perspective, if you haven't, uh, read that number against other things, that means that they've spent more than the defense and aerospace sectors. Yeah, I mean, maybe I'm naive, but I I always have a hard time imagining what day-to-day lobbying actually looks like. Can you fill me in and the listeners just a little bit about specifically what a pharmaceutical lobbyist might do in order sure. to get influence? Yeah, well, that's a great question. Uh, we should mention a shout out to our own Matt, the madman Frederick, who is with what? us, in, who is with us in spirit on his vacation, uh, because I'm about to talk about one of Matt's favorite shows. Longtime listeners, you've heard this before. Uh, there was a show called K Street, I believe it was, right? Definitely heard Matt mention that one. Yeah, and this gives a not completely accurate, but pretty close to the bone look at how lobbying works. Mm -hmm. Lobbying is a legal activity in the U.S. Technically or theoretically, uh, listeners, Noel, all of us could get together and we could start, you know, the... American Association for Stuff They Don't Want You to Know Being Known or something like Mm -hmm. that, right? And we could go, uh, we could do the following things. Uh, take, uh, take lawmakers out Mm -hmm. to lunches or to galas, to benefits on trips to persuade them that the case we are making is the best case for the U.S. in some way, right? Uh, and, and every industry does this to some degree, and there, the, and, and countries do it as well. Uh, there are, quite, but like for, also for example, like yeah. the NRA, you know, gun lobbyists, sure, sure, yeah, or oil lobbying groups, or the AARP, mm-hmm. uh, the Association of Retired Persons, uh, and this, this two point six 
billion dollars. This is a huge slice of pie. Uh, this is a huge slice of legal drug pie. And this is not counting the money that drug makers spend to influence doctors. And again, since lobbying is not illegal, there's nothing inherently criminal about these actions. It gets sticky pretty quickly because legally speaking, a lobbyist can't just go up to, uh, Representative Jane Nguyen of, you know, South Wisconsin or something and say, uh, Jane, here's $800,000. Please vote, uh, please vote against FDA regulation of this thing or something that that is illegal. You right. can't just give people money and tell them to do that. But if said lobbyist is like, hey, uh, Jane, you want me to take you out to a nice, uh, nice lunch? We'll have some chats over some martinis. Yeah, yeah let's talk about campaign contributions. Sure. Uh-huh. Campaign contributions are one of the ways that money can be donated, right? Uh, so if there is a real big pharma, if we want to get past the umbrella term and talk about what this actually is, then it's most likely an association called the Pharmaceutical Research and Manufacturers of America. Right. So this is basically a trade group that represents 48 of the leading biopharmaceutical researchers and biotechnology companies. Um, Possibly the most notable victory of uh, pharma was the 2006 prescription deal, which extended prescription coverage while actually preventing the Medicare program from collectively bargaining for lower prices. Right. And this stuff, this stuff changed in the wake of the Affordable Care Act, which uh, for people outside of the U.S. might sound kind of arcane, but everyone in the U.S. is familiar with it. It's also been called Obamacare. It's a Romney, Mitt Romney helmed program in Massachusetts that was later taken to a national level by the Obama administration. And it has a wealth of critics and a wealth of supporters. I think it's a story for a different show, but uh, the pharmaceutical industry definitely had input on this, you know, and you can see articles from the Wall Street Journal saying that the uh, pharmaceutical companies made a benefit of like $35 billion or some other astronomical number from the ACA or Obamacare. The, there, There is something that we have to say at the top, though, because we're going to talk about a lot of murky, just diabolical stuff here. Mm-hmm. So first, I want to say there's no question that research by scientists at pharmaceutical companies has led to amazing breakthroughs, curing or most often treating conditions that 100 or maybe even 10 years ago would have uh, been a death sentence. So let's get that out of the way first. We're talking about better treatments for cancer, better treatments for sexual diseases, not necessarily cures, but treatments. And one of the things that inspired you and I to look at this today uh, was Sean's letter and other comments from people on YouTube, Twitter, and Facebook. I'll go ahead and put the plug in here now. You can follow us. We are Conspiracy Stuff on all of those, and you'll you'll see episodes that may not make it to the air for one reason or another or topics that we talk about. Uh, you can also talk with other listeners, and you can suggest stuff to us directly. Anyhow, one of the things that inspired us to look at this was the recent news report, which I guess we should mention, but we'll get into later, right? The case of the pharmaceutical startup uh, tycoon. 
Yeah, the pharma bro, as they're calling him. <laughs> is, that, is that what they're as, calling uh, him? Yeah, yeah, on the Twitter. Yeah. Oh, man. Uh, Martin Shkreli. Shkreli. Yeah. And uh, I heard you off air jokingly refer to him as Shrek. Well, you know, he's a bit of an ogre. <laughs> oh, man. Skidoo. Skidoo, indeed. Uh, all right. So there are critics of big pharma, and they often fall into one of several camps. First, there are the people that, if we're going to make up a name for them, I would call them suppression adherents. These are the people who believe that pharmaceutical companies have something like secret treatments or even a secret cure for everything from cancer to leukemia, HIV, other chronic terminal conditions, but have covered up this knowledge in the interest of continuing to make money off hapless consumers. When I was reading Sean's letter at the top of the podcast, um, you know, he obviously mentioned this idea of, um, you know, drug companies having these secret cures and holding them back um, because it benefits them more to be able to continue to treat these existing diseases rather than to cure them. And it, it, it occurred to me that there's an interesting parallel between that and the idea that, like, technology companies already have – a million terabyte hard drive that they've right. developed that they're just, you know, sitting on. Because why mm. roll that out when they can just keep selling us a one terabyte hard drive for, you know, 200 bucks or something like that? Right. Yeah. Or this also maybe ties into alternative energy ideas. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. The concept that there is a water powered car mm-hmm. or there is a even consumer products like a toothpaste you only have to apply once sure. or something. Some serious like Willy Wonka stuff. Right. Yes. Uh, when and i will i will add that this is just my opinion but i feel like there's strong circumstantial evidence that there is on some level at least classified technology several years in advance of what the public has access mm-hmm. to especially in the aerospace field uh especially in in military applications sure now does that go all the way down to drugs are there miracle cures that only a select few of the world's population have access to. Uh, we're going to look at that in a little more detail. That's one of the biggest, most consistent classifications of conspiracy theories we hear about big pharma. Then there's another one. If I was going to make up a term for these folks, no, I would call them the invention theorists, mm-hmm. taking it a step further and arguing that pharmaceutical companies are not just suppressing cures, but actually inventing new diseases, either by renaming them to make them sound more serious or by creating new ones and spreading them through the population. An arguable example of this is uh, called restless leg syndrome. I've definitely got that. You've got restless leg yeah. syndrome? Oh, yeah. It's happening right now. Yeah. I can't make it stop. I mean, after a couple of drinks, I have a serious case of uh, happy feet yeah. for sure. <laughs> Uh, and I'm under the impression that I could both whip and nay-nay. I believe that you could. I, I'm really... I have I, faith in your ability to I, whip I, and I, or nay-nay. I really feel like it will be a personal failing on both our parts if I ever get to that position, and let's hope there's not a camera around. But this this idea is... This idea will be familiar to a lot of people in the U.S. when you'll notice the prevalence of... Uh, prevalence of vaguely named drugs that are meant to treat mental or emotional conditions that in the past would not have, would not have been treated. It might be specific. Uh, but without going into that yet, we'll just say that that's another group. So there are the people who think things are being suppressed 
cures are being suppressed and a group of people who think either fake diseases are being marketed or real diseases are being spread. And there's another one. And Matt, I know you're listening to this, man. This will be your favorite one. The political theories, the idea that big pharma has purchased the conscience and the vote of allegedly elected representatives using them to force industry friendly laws through at the expense of the American public. In other words, putting profits over people. No. Well, those are like, those are some of the accusations. So let's talk about some of the true stories, right? Sure. So aside from the recent news, history is absolutely filled with these kinds of shenanigans. (laughs) Here are some actual examples of illegal, corrupt, and or unethical things pharmaceutical companies have done in the past. Oh, uh, yeah. Let me set you up for this one, Noel. Sure. Uh, so how does pharma actually influence legislation? That's a tough one. But the answer to that question lies partially with the American Legislative Exchange Council, or ALEC, A-L-E-C. ALEC, like Baldwin. Yes, indeed. Strong chin, that one. <laughs> So this secretive group basically connects private interests and lawmakers to approve what are called model bills. And these model bills reflect the desires of the parties involved. Um, Yeah. So defenders of ALEC say that it provides a forum for legislative and industrial partnership. But critics say that's not so much the case that the public is basically completely cut out of the entire process. So like a smaller version then of the TPP. So there, it, it's true. These, these model bills are not necessarily intended. And I hope you guys can hear the air quotes I'm laying down thick over there. Not necessarily intended. Yeah. Thank you to, uh, to become the verbatim bill, but, or the verbatim law rather, but several legislators have introduced bills that can be traced directly back to meetings of ALEC. But pharma, and again, that's just our shorthand for pharmaceutical research and manufacturers of America, does contribute to ALEC. And it is, and we know this because it is legally bound to disclose this spending. ALEC, however, is not bound by the same laws. In fact, ALEC's membership list is secret. And big pharmaceutical associations don't just keep their spending to the hallowed halls of Congress, right, Noel? Not at all, Ben. Uh, these companies actually interact directly and pretty extensively with physicians, mm-hmm. um, basically incentivizing them to recommend specific brand name drugs. Right. Yeah. It's, it's funny. Have you ever been in a hospital, Noel, or in the doctor's office when a pharmacy rep comes through? Yeah, with all their pens and their mouse pads and yeah, their, their swag yeah, and, yeah. and they look like models or something. Sure. And they travel around convincing various doctors, medical professionals that name brand drug X is superior and should be prescribed for the following conditions, aggressively and assertively so. And it goes beyond that, too, because there's a process used called ghostwriting. And ghostwriting is a really weird thing. So these companies uh, would pay a doctor and say, hey, let's say you're a doctor, Noel. What kind of doctor are you? I'm a doctor of funk. No, I'm kidding. Um, I'm an oncologist. You're an oncologist. So they would say, we have this perfect drug coming out. 
and it's going to be it's going to be coming out in the next six months or it's been out for six months and we want to spread the word so dr brown uh you agree with us right we're at dinner now uh you agree with us that this is a superior treatment well that depends can i get the creme brulee you can have creme brulee for here and to go i'm on board sign me up Great. Here's the best thing. We want you to write a review and we want it to go like this, at which point they hand the review that they've already written there. And they say, we're just going to put Dr. Brown, according to Dr. Brown, lead oncologist at X hospital. And then this glowing review happens and we've used your name. Mm -hmm. Nothing weird about that. That's nine out of ten doctors agree. <laughs> yeah, nine out of ten doctors agree. Creme brulee at the restaurant and to go is awesome. <laughs> Vis-a-vis. This drug is awesome. Right. And, you know, this might sound strange to some of our listeners outside of the U.S., but televised ads for prescription drugs are a common thing in U.S. channels, U.S. TV channels. And and we... Commonly bizarre. Yeah, commonly bizarre because legally there's a lot of stuff they can't say. How would you describe one of those ads? Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snagajob is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs, on-demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position, warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer? Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With their easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. Visit snagajob.com or text snag to 2424 Two four to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. Have a ton of questions about LASIK? You're not alone. That's why we created LASIK.com, one place where you can go to find every answer to every question on your mind. Like, how much does LASIK cost? How long does recovery take? How do I find a doctor? If you've been thinking about LASIK, go to LASIK.com now. Yeah, LASIK.com. Easy to remember, so you know where to start. L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabrielle Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Colin Bridgerton has returned from his travels abroad. Is betrothal written in the stars for The Eligible Bachelor? Meanwhile, the ton is reverberating with speculation of who holds Lady Whistledown's pen. We're discussing it all. I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more to offer an exclusive peek behind the scenes of each episode of the new season. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. 
In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh, my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And, of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. So it's sort of like this weird, trippy Alice in Wonderland vibe where there's somebody prancing through a meadow, mm-hmm. you know, just feeling good. Bright colors. Just, just bright colors, lots of pastels. There's butterflies everywhere. The sun is shining. There may be children playing in a playground. There's probably instrumental music. Yeah. You don't really yeah. hear the people yeah. talking. Probably some slow motion reaction shots of uh, just happy, smiling faces. And laughing. Yeah, it's like the And vague, song. vague, vague, vague voiceover just about just you want to be happy right Mm -hmm. you want to feel good about yourself and your loved ones don't you Mm -hmm. you want to get the most out of every day on this planet and then the voiceover would shift right over to the name of the drug which would be like heliometrix Mm -hmm. and and they'll they'll say ask your doctor if heliometrix is right for you Without really naming a lot of the symptoms till the very end where there is tiny, tiny fine print, uh, something that our lead sponsor, uh, Illumination Global Unlimited, is legally required Whatever happened to do. To them? You know, they, they are still around. Yeah. Uh, they, I, I don't know. They, they contact us when they want to contact yeah. us. They don't even use email. They no. just slip an envelope under the door mm-hmm. one time. That was volunteering in a nursing home, and they just sent one of the residents of the nursing home to tell me what our next ad campaign just was going to be. Just kind of whispered it in your ear. Uh-huh. And I turned around, and she was gone. Yeah. Poof. Yeah. So, you know, cue the schmaltzy outro music. Ask your doctor if heliometrics is right for you. Side effects may include drowsiness, dizziness, nausea, sensationalness, trepanation, weird shoe-footedness, wrong-headedness, two nose, one nose, scrote, 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 double speed, double think, brain fever, consumption, soul death, squamishness, impertinence, incontinence, offensive punctuality, offensive punctuation, punctitude, bad grammar, Zanzibar, America. You know, that kind of stuff. Yeah, you know, now that, now that I hear it, that that's spot on, but it sounds a little silly. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, we mentioned this, I think, in our Legal Drugs podcast, but the U.S. accounts for about 5% of the world's population and also 42% of the money spent on prescription drugs. That statistic can be a little bit strange because these drugs are often much more expensive in the U.S. than they are in other countries. And uh, let's talk about... Let's talk about this idea that there was a propagation of disease or that these false diseases were created and marketed, right? Tell me more. Oh, good. I'd love to. So Bayer, everybody's familiar with Bayer, maybe through aspirin. Aspirin. Yeah. Uh, Bayer did sell 
HIV-tainted medicine. They sold millions of dollars worth of an injectable blood clotting medicine called Factor 8 Concentrate, which is intended for hemophiliacs to Asian, Latin American, and European countries in the mid-1980s. The company stopped selling the drug in the U.S. in 1984, but continued selling it overseas for another year. And so how did this happen? How did this become tainted? The medicine uh, in question here was made using combined plasma from large numbers of donors. Um, so at the time, there was absolutely no screening test for the AIDS virus. So a tiny number of donors with AIDS could potentially contaminate a large batch. Right. And reports say that although the worldwide numbers are difficult to calculate in Hong Kong and Taiwan alone, more than 100 hemophiliacs contracted HIV after using this medicine, most of whom have died. But in May of 1985, Dr. Harry M. Meyer Jr., the uh, FDA's uh, blood products official, uh, called the companies to a meeting, believing that they had broken an agreement to stop selling the old medicine. Uh, and this is according to an article in New York Times. But Meyer decided to handle the matter quietly instead of uh, letting the public know. Yeah, wouldn't want anybody to get in a panic about a little thing like a lethal disease, which at the time uh, AIDS was, HIV was. So that that is a scary real-life situation. There's another book that you may enjoy if you haven't read it before, a uh, belief called The River, in which the author details – the genesis of AIDS and how it spread. And they allege that they allege that pharmaceutical companies knowingly sold uh, or experimented with tainted batches of product on populations in sub-Saharan Africa, yeah. which sparked uh, the rise of the HIV epidemic. It's, it's important to note that that is not, Consider the specific genesis, like it's not universally agreed. Yeah. People are still arguing over how this, how this happened, but you'll often hear pharmaceutical companies being, um, being accused of this, not, not so much through some sort of purposeful thing as either try, as either trying to save money or being, you know, fiscally corrupt or incompetent. How do we know that Bayer knew that the HIV was in the medicine and yet they continued to sell it. I just don't understand how a company of that magnitude, A, could come back from a scandal like this, and B, good Lord, must they not have had a crackerjack PR team that I have never heard of the story prior to researching this topic. Right. I mean, when I think of Bear, I just think of uh, a little aspirin for my headache, you know? That's all I think of. Well, in 2006, and this is a great question, 2006, there were uh, documents that were unearthed showing that they knew it had the high likelihood of being tainted with with AIDS. They they knew they could no longer sell it in the U.S. Uh, the dangers of the drug have become well known in the U.S. market, but that news was uh, slower to reach other parts of the world. And it does, from what we see, it does seem that FDA regulators did collude to keep the continued sales hidden uh, so that this could be solved without alerting Congress, the medical community, and the public. And these are according to minutes of a 1985, uh, 1985 meeting between the FDA and Bayer. Yeah, so, I mean, to me, this occurs to me as being like an example, another example of uh, 
too cozy relationships, whether it's between drug companies and the FDA regulators that are supposed to oversee them, or for example, you know, large banks and the SEC regulators that are uh, supposedly, you know, supposed to keep them um, acting correctly. Right? Um, is it is that? It's a similar, yeah, that's a very nice parallel, uh, because, or it's a disturbing parallel, but possibly accurate. It's nice. It, because it does show, you know, how, how close an industry and the government institution designed to regulate it will happen. Now, I know we have a lot of listeners who object to the, the concept of a large government, right? Of whether federal or whether one world. And I completely, I completely understand in many cases, in the case of things like the Food and Drug Administration, however, uh, that has provided in the past, especially, uh, much needed food safety things. You know, food safety regulations are an important thing to have because if there is not some sort of standard, then we could easily end up in a situation like Upton Sinclair's The Jungle, sure. which is uh, a very gruesome, gruesome story I about. Was just, I was going to say gross. Yeah. Gross and gruesome story about the meatpacking industry. However, uh, the thing about this regulation that I agree with that a lot of people object to as well is the concept that if the people who work for the watchmen are later being hired to work for the people being watched or come from that industry, you know, the argument is always that a certain level of expertise and experience uh, should be the deciding factor. And it and it may be true. The advocates of this practice argue that you need to have industry experts, but then the opponents of this practice will say, well, really what we're doing is inventing a revolving door where someone can, as a regulatory power, make laws that will benefit them, specifically them, later when they enter private industry. Yeah, and I mean, I'm sure there's some amount of, well, if this person used to work for the regulatory body and now they work for us, they can probably give us a little bit of the scoop on some of the machinations of the regulatory body. Yeah, that's a good point. You know, how how far does it go? Uh, with a little background on Bayer, just to say, you, you asked specifically about how this occurred. So it wasn't reported as widely in U.S. media, but uh, French and Italian news media were reporting a lot of this. In 2011, uh, Bayer just paid, had paid tens of millions of dollars to end this scandal uh, because here's how it happened. So 2011, Bayer starts compensating people. They got AIDS because in the 1980s, a thing called the Cutter Biological Unit of Bayer ignored a federal law against recruiting prisoners, IV drug users, you know, intravenous, Mm -hmm. uh, and what they call high risk in terms of sexual activity people as donors of the blood that they use to make this factor eight. Uh, And that's the clotting product that keeps hemophiliacs from bleeding out. So they're paying, uh, they, along with three other labs, were forced to pay tens of millions of euros uh, to people who could trace the transmission of HIV to this treatment. So uh, Bayer and the U.S. company Baxter, the two main parties to the agreement, a company spokesperson said, However, the company accepts no responsibility in this case and continues to insist that it has always acted responsibly and ethically. So 
forcing is something that you can see often occurring with companies of this magnitude where they say, okay, we will pay to, we will pay to resolve this case. Yeah, we will admit no, but no direct fault. We admit no direct fault. Uh, the estimated number, even though again, it's difficult to estimate is about 20,000 people contracted HIV from this. It's insane to me. It is. It is insane. And it's, uh, and again, I mean, like I said, yeah. what, what is the most insane to me as a consumer of media and as someone who, you know, reads up on this kind of stuff. I just had never heard of this before. And that is mind blowing to me. Like how much money must a company like this have to be able to pretty successfully sweep something like this under the rug to the point where, you know, it's just not like the only image that you associate with this company. Well, yeah, again, they, they stopped selling this product in the U S so it was maybe older news or it was less likely to directly affect people in the U S market. So that is a seed of truth to these things. When, when we hear a lot of the, when we hear a lot of conspiratorial rumors and stuff, the thing to find is whether there is a seed of truth, right? Whether there is a, a shining note of veracity in the haystack of BS that so often is the internet. Uh, and that's not my most graceful comparison there, but let's go to the idea of withholding a cure because Sean, that's exactly what you asked about. At this point, it's hard to find a specific proven case of a company completely suppressing a cure. And the reason it's hard to find that is that we, we see instead, we see a lot of people saying, uh, that it is more advantageous to treat the symptoms of a disease rather than the cause. In many cases, I know this is a sensitive subject for some people, but in many cases, the cause of a condition could be uh, genetic or lifestyle related. For instance, like a poor diet. Yeah, know. like a poor diet could create diabetes or obesity or heart conditions. And the best way to combat that is not through a magic pill. Uh, it's through get off the couch. Right. It's through exercise and changing diet, which, of course, no one wants to hear because that is not an instantaneous cure. Uh, but what we did find that I thought might interest you, Sean, is uh, some statements from people on Reddit, of all places, uh, if you're familiar, who were talking about the talking about the issues here or the the concept of a conspiracy. And we found people saying that. We found people saying that they had had experience either with drug creation or product creation or in the higher level marketing stuff. And the marketing people are saying it is so expensive to create a drug and get through the FDA hoops that if there were a magical cure, people would sell it. They would sell it for a boatload, a yacht load of money, one might say, but they wouldn't want to keep it secret because they would be walking away from so much money. And then there was a funny part where the person who was uh, a former chemist, like a someone creating these sure. drugs, uh, said or maybe chemist is not the right word. Researcher. Researcher, sure. Uh, cause we don't know exactly what this person was involved with, but they said, they said, here's the thing. It would be very difficult for the pharmaceutical companies to pay someone who discovered a cure enough to keep it secret. Yeah. 
You know, how would, how would you do that? And this, this goes into some darker territory when we hear allegations of, you know, people being disappeared or something like that. But in this case so far, just because of the amount of people that would be required to keep this secret, it's, we, we haven't found, we haven't found a case yet. I'd love to hear more from listeners who believe that there is a case. And I, and I want to say also that often you'll hear people saying that an alternative medicine of some sort is what's being repressed, mm-hmm. right? Uh, or that there is some maybe natural cure through a plant or through a relatively simply made derivation of a plant that pharmaceutical companies are instead trying to monetize. Mm -hmm. And that part, that last part is pretty believable because we're seeing that now with, I'm not going to claim marijuana as some sort of panacea that cures everything. It certainly kept Taco Bell in business. Sure. That's, that's one magic power it has, but, but it is true that pharmaceutical companies have worked, uh, diligently to isolate, you know, functional chemicals, the, the active, you know, tetracannabinoids and stuff, the THC, uh, to make it a pill form instead of something that a person would, you know, smoke or I sure. guess ingest other ways. Yeah. It, it reminds me of a, something I think I brought up in, uh, we were talking about, um, monetizing the treatment of drug addiction. I think uh, the episode was just on drug addiction. That's what it was. And I was talking about how, you know, privatizing, privatization of methadone clinics, for example. Oh, yeah, yeah. Right. And so, um, obviously that ties into big pharma. I mean, you know, somebody's got to manufacture the methadone or whatever sure. you know, uh, version of that is, is being prescribed, you know, for the treatment of, um, opiate addiction. Um, there's a lot of articles out there about, um, I think the most recent one I saw was on Vice. There is a, uh, a natural supplement, you can call it. Um, it's a, a leaf from Thailand originally, I believe, and it's called kratom, and it, it produces a, an effect very similar to an opiate or like methadone, for example. But um, and it is legal technically right now mm-hmm. in the U.S., but it is clearly, according to a lot of the things that I've been reading, uh, very much uh, controversial and is you know probably not going to be legal for long. And it's like gray market, huh? Yeah, more or less. But um, it is apparently a very good analog to methadone and not nearly as uh not doesn't carry nearly as many side effects so so it can be used to treat um people who have opium addiction absolutely okay a- according to all, you know some of these sources and I'll, we could maybe um, find a few links and yeah. post them on social That's um funny. but i think that's just a good, good example of like a a long standing natural product that has been around apparently this it used to be so popular um in uh in Thailand uh, that they it had to be uh banned because it was actually interfering with the opium trade oh because people were it was easier to get people could grow it you know it grew naturally even yeah. and it was actually interfering with the opium trade so you know and this is you know Decades and decades and decades ago. This is a very interesting story, one I haven't heard, and I'd like to follow up on it. So, I'm, and I'm not saying that this suppression of a miracle drug has never occurred. I'm saying that I've had this point, I've had difficulty finding a proven case suppression that later came out. Uh, one thing that could be similar would be 
not related so much to pharmaceutical companies, but the Tuskegee experiments where uh, the U.S. government withheld treatment mm-hmm. for syphilis. Gotcha. Uh, but that, again, that would be Uncle Sam. That would not necessarily be like a Pfizer or a bear. So if you are listening to this show, first off, thank you so much. And uh, if you have knowledge of something like that, if you want to be anonymous, that's fine. We won't reveal your identity, but we would love to hear more about this uh, suppression of cures. We've looked at the propagation of diseases in at least one example. That is a true story. We have looked at uh, some corruption, which has numerous examples. And uh, we have looked into the idea of suppressing a treatment uh, there. That's such a big term. There are a number of ways we could look at it, but we want to know what you think. So write to us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter. We're conspiracy stuff at both. You can even check out our live show that we do once a weekish. Oh, which reminds me, Noel, are you going to, do you want to be on that? Sure. Okay. Like so the Periscope thing. Yeah. Yeah. So we got, we got in the Wi-Fi game. And, yeah, and yeah, we're getting our Wi-Fi game back. It's right. it, it's much better. And speaking of what you think, uh, let's pause for a second and do some listener mail. All right. So our first letter comes to us from Matt, not Matt Frederick, not the not our co-host, but uh, Matt, a listener. And Matt's writing in regarding our episode on modern slavery. The statistics on sex trafficking are very problematic, and jurisdictions that have a political interest in it, I was trafficked, air quotes, can be a get-out-of-jail card for prostitutes who get arrested. Maggie McNeil has written a fairly thorough analysis of how questionable the widely popularized sex trafficking statistics actually are. And then Matt goes on to say, also there was a distinct attitude that no right-thinking woman would ever want to do sex work on your show. It just isn't true. Uh, again, quite a number of women are in the business because they choose to, not because it is survival work. First time I've seen such an obvious bias on your show. Well, Matt, thanks for writing. I noticed that you say distinct attitude, most likely because we never directly said that no one would ever willingly be involved in sex work. However, I do agree that I do agree completely that sex trafficking statistics can be very, very problematic. Uh, statistics for forced labor in general are very problematic. And uh, I I can't remember if we addressed this on air, but I hope we did. You have to also question the agendas of uh, widely inflated numbers, you know, question the source of where those numbers come from. So, it is, it, it clearly isn't true that no one would ever want to do sex work. Uh, but if we say quite a number of women are in the business because they choose to, quite a number is also a slippery number in itself. And regardless of the ratio, uh, it is true that and I'll use the same word, uh, the same phrase, quite a number of people are in sex trafficking or forced labor of any sort against their will. And with with that being said, I really appreciate this email, Matt, because you're you're making an excellent point about how dangerous it can be to paint with a broad brush. 
Uh, and that's something that I wanted, uh, I wanted the rest of the listeners to hear your take on. And thank you for the recommendation of Maggie McNeil. For people who haven't checked out our Modern Slavery podcast, uh, please do. You'll learn some interesting facts and you'll see some, as Matt has pointed out, questionable statistics. Uh, one of the interesting pieces of trivia is that according to most estimates we read, the vast majority of forced labor or uh, human trafficking, forced modern slavery, is manual labor. So uh, things like brick building, right, like construction work, agriculture, rather than uh, the, the lurid tales that seem to uh, get the most popular media attention. So again, thanks so much for writing, Matt, and I appreciate your point. It was well uh, well written, well presented. Again, check out the book by Maggie McNeil. I guess that's the interesting thing about statistics. I mean, this idea of reducing a human being to a statistic, they inherently have very little context. So it's hard to know the motivation specifically behind a statistic. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, I on a personal agree. level. I mean, sure. Yeah. I, I completely agree. And statistics can be so easily skewed by something as small as the framing of a question sure. in a poll. Right. Uh, so if, for instance, uh, if there if there was something like a poll regarding recess mm-hmm. right uh, and if you if you were trying to get something that said uh, the majority of people agree that children should have some sort of recess right mm-hmm. then or if you want you would say you would say um uh do you believe that children should be forced to stay inside all day during school, despite the numerous studies showing that sitting constantly has uh, legitimate and long-lasting health effects, then of course people will be like, "No, I don't want children to have a, a sitting disease." And if you wanted more people to say that they disagree with recess, then you would say, uh, "Do you believe that children should be forced outside uh, and to stand in the elements?" The elements, I love given. Given the uh, given the recent statistics on pollution and the long lasting detrimental health effects that can occur just from being outside for an hour. Oh, and uh, by the way, we're making this show in a state where uh, recess has uh, consistently dwindled. I think it's at like 10 minutes a day now, which I, is just enough time to get kids to run outside and then run back in. Did I ever tell you that they kicked me out of kindergarten? They kicked you out? Yeah, because I don't play. Um, no, come on now. <laughs> uh, all right. So, well, let's go to a second piece of listener mail. Okay. Um, so here's a nice letter. I just wanted to write in to let you know how much I enjoy the podcast. I've only been listening for a couple of months now, but it's one of the podcasts I listen to that I anticipate the most every week. Thinking it would be an Alex Jones-type conspiracy circle jerk, love that image, I was very timid about listening. The level of skepticism you show every week, though, is very refreshing when it comes to these topics. I am very interested in conspiracy theories as a topic, but it is so hard to find level-headed conversation about it from the outside. I just finished this week's episode and thought I'd chime in with some support. Keep up the awesome work. And that comes to us from Ryan. And Ryan, thanks so much. We sure appreciate it. We have, uh, we, you know, we get a lot of email here and this show, you know, you might be a regular listener and you might have friends who say, oh, uh, no, make up a name of a person. 
Snagajob is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snagajob is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs on demand, temp to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position, warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, Podcast producer? Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With their easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. Visit snagajob.com or text snag to 2424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. Have a ton of questions about LASIK? You're not alone. That's why we created LASIK.com, one place where you can go to find every answer to every question on your mind. Like, how much does LASIK cost? How long does recovery take? How do I find a doctor? If you've been thinking about LASIK, go to LASIK.com now. Yeah, LASIK.com. Easy to remember, so you know where to start. L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabrielle Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Colin Bridgerton has returned from his travels abroad. Is betrothal written in the stars for The Eligible Bachelor? Meanwhile, the ton is reverberating with speculation of who holds Lady Whistledown's pen. We're discussing it all. I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more to offer an exclusive peek behind the scenes of each episode of the new season. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, And then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh, my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
Stephen Mecklenburg. Okay. And let's say you're Stephen Mecklenburg and you're a regular listener of this show. You might have people going, ah, Steve, I can't believe you listened to that tinfoil hat baloney, right? Mm-hmm. That balagna. And, uh, and. M- malarkey. Right. And if, if you have friends who, are like that, who would be hesitant to check out a show because of the topics it addresses, uh, then please, uh, let them, let them know that this, this show, we will, we will ask any question. We'll entertain any question. As a listener driven show, we'll ask any question. We'll do our best to find the answers. Now, as Matt, uh, our listener pointed out in our early, in the earlier email, we don't always get things right. You know, we're, we're human. There are things that we need to clarify. There are some things that we've just gotten wrong. And we rely on our listeners to help us keep this show as, as honest as possible. And, you know, yeah. from where I sit, you guys do a fantastic job of keeping Ben, Matt, and, you know, to a lesser degree, myself honest about these things. So uh, we very much appreciate that, obviously. Well, so, so we appreciate it. And, and I would ask you, if you have if you have some friends like that who um pride themselves on critical thinking right but somehow make the mistake of throwing everything referred to as a conspiracy theory into the same large bucket then uh let them let them know about our show or tell them oh i i heard a good one that is not what what what's that phrase a conspiracy circle jerk can we even say that on the air yeah Sure. There's a, there's a band called the Circle Jerks. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. So guys, uh, if our boss is asked, that's what we were talking about. All right. Back us up. Uh, and now we are going to head out. We would like, uh, to hear from you. So if you want to take a page from that list, whoa, wait. Do you hear that sound cue? Yeah, you do. Cause you're, you're playing it. Ah, it's too meta for me. Yeah. No, I, I have a thing, Ben. I have a thing. So I kind of want to use today's moment to revisit our boy Screlly, Martin Screlly. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a story, it's fascinating to me on a couple of levels, but one, it really shows the power of the internet. First, in that this story kind of came and then was more or less resolved in a day's time. I'm using the term resolved pretty loosely. But a little backstory, um, many of you, I'm sure, were following this along with me. Um, Martin Screlly uh, is a 32, I believe, 32-year-old former hedge fund manager. So right. just, you know, up there in the financial world. In the, oh, I thought I thought it was topiary. Yeah, I don't know what either yeah. one of those things I thought are. it's like a landscaping thing where yeah. you manage hedges. Yeah, I have the, you know, that it might as well be for all I know about what a hedge fund actually is. It seems like to me it's one of those things where you only really know what it is and if that's what you do for a living. I'm going to walk away from a terrible landscaping joke. I, I don't, you don't have to. I, I no, mean, no, let's, let's go. Okay. All right. I'll go with you. So Martin Screlly, um, 32 year old financial whiz, I guess you could call him, uh, used to manage a hedge fund. So left the hedge fund and was part of a, Pharmaceutical company called Retrofin. Is that right, Ben? Yeah, Retrofin. And Retrofin acquired the rights to sell a drug called Fiola. Fiola is used to treat cystinuria. Uh, that's a, a rare, incurable condition which gives you persistent kidney stones. Oh, that's right. So that's a, that's a pain, uh, in the kidney right no there. No joke. Yeah. No joke. So we're burying the lead here a little bit, but the reason we bring that up is this was sort of the first example of this guy, Screlly, um, doing some pretty egregious, 
price gouging. Yeah, he said that Fiola, which sold for 4000 a year per patient, would be priced closer to a rival drug called Pencilamine, uh, which sold for 80000 to 140000 a year per patient. So – Good little backstory there. But the lead that we're bearing is the news of the day is uh, Martin Shkreli has a pharmaceutical startup called mm-hmm. Turing Pharmaceuticals. Um, and, and just the idea to me when I first heard this of a pharmaceutical startup, I mean, I think of a startup as like building an app, you know, like something like that. I, I don't <laughs> right, really right. think of it as like, I mean, I guess all companies have to start somewhere. But just the idea of a pharmaceutical startup sort of like made me scratch my head a little bit. But one of the first things he did – um, when he started this company was purchase the rights to a very old drug called Daraprim. And uh, Daraprim has actually been used for years to treat toxoplasmosis, mm. which uh, is, is a pretty common condition, but it's not particularly um, detrimental to most people who have it, who have regular, you know, functioning immune, system. immune systems. Yeah. Where it comes, where it becomes a real problem though is with immunodeficient individuals, um, suffering from, you know, say HIV AIDS or cancer. Mm-hmm. And what this drug does is it's a, an anti-parasite, uh, anti-parasitic, um, mm-hmm. uh, drug. And for years, I believe it sold in the neighborhood of a dollar a pill. And then it went up to about $13 a pill. Well, when our boy Screlly bought it, he decided it would be a good idea to up the price from 13 change to, I believe, $750 a pill. Yeah, I believe that's correct. Yeah. And when questioned about it on CBS, uh, this morning, I believe it was the day before yesterday, mm-hmm. he argued that, you know, there are only about 2,000 people that use this drug actively. It's, was not profitable for our company um, to sell it at that price. And honestly, what we're doing by raising the price here is actually very altruistic because it means that we can take this money and mm-hmm. invest it back into research and development to find a better drug um, with fewer side effects. Yeah, and also there's the question of the enormous cost of R&D. That's something that people would bring up too. Also, just just to throw this in there, apparently it costs in the neighborhood of a dollar or less to actually produce to manufacture to manufacture one of these. Is that models. is that counting the sunken cost of the of you know the the overhead to research and create it? Well, I guess that's a good point because I mean, if you'd spent fifty million dollars to acquire it, I guess you have to figure that into it when you know you're talking about what would be profitable to sell the drug for. So I didn't know this. So the plan was to take that money and make a, another thing. To well, but that's the point, though. I guess that's the reason I'm bringing this up is that would probably be the argument that any pharmaceutical company would make as to why they're quote unquote price gouging. They say, oh, well, our you know, biggest stakeholders are are the patients. You know, mm-hmm. that is who we're looking after the most. If we're doing anything, it is so we can funnel this money back into research and development, which admittedly is very expensive and, you know, time consuming to to do. Now there was uh there was another piece of big news though, right? Yeah. Um so basically what happened is this news came out. The internet proceeded to go bananas mm-hmm. like it tends to do mm-hmm. and it just became a collective lynch mob for this guy Martin Shkreli just Twitter just you know calling him 
Hitler, calling him the worst thing since Pol Pot, you know, I mean, just, mm-hmm. just really demonizing this guy. And, you know, he didn't do himself very many favors because he is also an active Twitter user and tended to respond to internet criticisms by quoting Wu-Tang Clan lyrics, mm-hmm. saying that he ain't nothing to blank with mm-hmm. and, um, you know, things like that and posting pictures of himself on one of those, uh, those, the new answer to the segue, the little rolly things. Oh, yeah, yeah, lights, yeah. You know, yeah. that, uh, Wiz Khalifa got arrested with at LAX or something like that. Oh, really? Yeah, deep cut there. Um, <laughs> but yeah, and then he's got this kind of smirky little face and this, you know, kind of hipster haircut and just, just, you know, very easy to demonize a guy like that who just has uh, okay. no self-awareness when it comes to these things. Okay. And so I guess, um, I'm, I'm going off on a bit of a tangent here, but the thing that was most fascinating to me about this is, here is a quote unquote pharmaceutical startup making this incredibly contentious decision and the internet reacted and in real time you could see this guy like defending himself in the worst way possible. You can see all the criticisms being lobbied against it. You do not get to see that when it comes to these large companies. These, this is like a, like a look behind the curtain right. because of the size of this organization, because of who this guy is, the fact that he's a millennial and he's tweeting out everything and he has absolutely no filter. So I just think it was really interesting. I learned so much about what price gouging is, what kinds of act, what kinds of uh, deals are going on behind closed doors when it comes to these pharmaceutical companies, but it was all in this really interesting kind of micro level. So it was a really mm-hmm. interesting glimpse into what likely is happening on a larger scale, mm-hmm. but in real time, in the span of a day. Yeah, and uh, the price is going to drop. It's going to drop. So apparently, the internet shamed him into rolling back the price. Right. Uh, we'll see. Well, and also we don't know if that was the determining factor, but people, you know, it seems like it. He said it was more or less. I he mean, did. He he. I think I don't know what the quote was exactly, but he more or less said. Um, it was sort of a sorry, not sorry kind of where he was like, you know what? I feel like my decision to do this in the first place wasn't wrong, but clearly this is bad for me. <laughs> so I'm not going to do it. So that's, you know, that's an interesting story. And we have to wonder what, what effects this is going to have on the future, right? On other pharmaceutical companies on the, on the ongoing fight. Well, sure. Well, you know, Hillary Clinton, when this happened, tweeted out, this is exactly the kind of ridiculous price gouging that we're trying to prevent in big pharma. You know, I am going to roll out a plan, you know, to cap uh, drug manufacturing or drug sales at some set rate above Ooh. what it costs to produce, et cetera. Like that, her plan did come out. But I mean, this created a very large reaction again because of the echo chamber that is twitter and the internet like so the whole thing was really interesting to see uh go down in real time and is this sincere on uh the clinton campaign's part or simply opportunistic probably both yeah i, mean, I think that's a thing but but then but then this goes into the larger fight for instance between generic drug manufacturers in india who are making things that would cost on the order of a dollar a pill, a dollar to three dollars a pill against the um, pharmaceutical companies often in the West who say we did all the legwork to manufacture or discover this Mm -hmm. to create it at great expense. And now you are counterfeiting or stealing our intellectual property, which goes back again to the TPP, which we don't have too much time to talk about now. So, uh, 
we're gonna we're gonna head out and uh, as always we hope that you enjoyed this episode uh, we hope that you will follow us on Facebook and Twitter uh, but more importantly than just following us or liking us which is something that always makes us a little bit less close to getting fired uh, there there is the the most important most singular thing you can do which is write to us let us know what you think uh, tell tell your friends if you feel like telling your friends uh, and Let's see, Noel, what, what would you like people to write to us with? Well, I mean, obviously, uh, ideas for things to research, ideas for episodes. Um, let us know what you think about how we're doing. Let us know ways that we can use, you know, Noel's Corner to better effect. Mm-hmm. Um, I just redubbed it, Noel's Corner. Noel's Corner. Yeah. Um, no, we just, we, we love, we always love to hear what you guys think, because as Ben and Matt always say, this is your show. So let us know what you think. We are conspiracy at howstuffworks.com. For more on this topic and other unexplained phenomena, visit youtube.com slash conspiracy stuff. You can also get in touch on Twitter at the handle at conspiracy stuff. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabby Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's Rappaport's Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Scott Weinberger, journalist and former deputy sheriff. In my new podcast series, Cold-Blooded, I'm embedded in the cold case investigation into the death of firefighter Billy Halpern. Experience this investigation in a truly unique way, untangling secrets that may reveal the answers to not only one case, but almost a dozen. Listen to Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Gym Murders on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.